Welcome to our podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I am here with my co-hosts, Eric Johnson and Alicia Swami. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Penapore. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Rubino, The Mold Medic, and All-American Restoration, the first and only mold remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Check out our show notes to pick up your copy of Michael Rubino's book, The Mold Medic, an expert guide on mold remediation, or visit allamericanrestoration.com to get your home assessed and get your health back on track today. Welcome, doctor. I know that you are currently in a dental you are doing, you're performing a dental training in Cancun, teaching other dentists some Correct. tricks and tools to be better dentists. Could you share with us it, how that's it's going for you? Sure. I do quite a bit of, I lecture pretty much all around the world. My focus has always been to help medical doctors, chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopaths, functional medical doctors, gurus, you name it in the importance of dental health. A lot of these professionals have not been taught this in their medical training. If anything, they just taught them tooth, enamel, dentine, so forth and so on. So there's no real training for these people. So I'm trying to help these people to be able to, if you have a patient that, for example, I'm just going to give you an example. If you have a patient that comes in with heart issues or God forbid, any kind of autoimmune issue, and they're, they're dealing with uh, gum disease or uh, you know, infected root canals they don't even know about or craniosacral issues. How can you get this patient when there's infections being harbored, there's other chronic issues that are going on with their system? And what I see more and more is people travel the world from one doctor to another, and really one of their issues is their dental health that they have no clue about is affecting their health in general. So this is what I do quite a bit now. So I got invited by a private clinic here in Cancun that they're just about to launch. It's in Tulum, actually, multi-million dollar organization. One of the uh, owners heard me lecture at an ozone conference, and they basically, they invited me to come down here to basically raise awareness on on the concept. So that's where I'm at right now. And I really enjoy doing this to really raise awareness. And as I'm talking to these doctors, you can see the light in their brain just light up. Oh my God, wow, no wonder I can't get my patient. And I asked them to bring some cases, some of the patients they're working on with right now. And 10 out of 10 cases, they have hidden infections in their jawbone, infected root canals, lymphatic issues, breathing issues. And so again, I'm just raising awareness here for these doctors. Thank you for working with other healthcare professionals to help them understand the missing piece. I understand that you had an interesting encounter with a mold exposure yesterday. Yes. um, I'm staying at a very, uh, they booked me in a very schmanzy Mamsi hotel, Cancun beach, what have you. So after three days of training, I decided to treat myself to a little massage. Went downstairs, lounge, relaxed. They took me to the room and the AC was on. And uh, these hotels, there's quite a bit of mold toxicity in their air conditioning system. 
And within not even a minute or two, I couldn't breathe. My sinuses shut down. I started hyperventilating. My uh, heartbeat went up and I had to leave the room and get myself out, start breathing, get to the outside air. And it's interesting, this happened yesterday, right before our podcast today. I travel quite a bit, and this is one thing that I've been dealing with. Hotels and the AC system is quite horrific. So this isn't the first time you've encountered it? No, because I travel quite a bit, I always turn the AC off in the hotel room. I try to always get some, some ambient air into the room. I sterilize everything. I even take my uh, little uh, air sanitizer that I take with me. This time I didn't. I tried to take it with me, but they wouldn't let me take it uh, on the uh, check it in. I had to carry it on because I don't want it to get banged up. Uh, so, yeah, but no, I, I do I have experienced this quite a bit at the hotels, especially the older hotels. It's not only that, it's the water because of the old pipes, so forth and so on. Yeah. Do you have environmental sensitivities in general? Only mold. I'm very sensitive to mold. If I walk into a residence or an office, I smell it. I feel it right away. That's really common for people who have had a long-term exposure. So I'm just, I'm curious. Actually, I, my, my only exposure really, if anything, was during dental school in heavy metals, mercury. And we know that mercury and mold, they go hand in hand together. We see that with a lot of patients that are going through detoxification, chelation of getting trying to get the heavy metals out. But you have to understand is as soon as, especially mercury, as soon as these heavy metals get out in your system, your body starts dumping mold to protect you from the heavy metal toxicity. So yeah, I see it in my office quite a bit, but I've never experienced, it was a central air conditioning. It wasn't like she could just turn it off. Because I asked them, could you turn off, please turn off the AC? They said, we're sorry, this is central. No, we can't turn it off. I try to hang in there, but within minutes, I have to get out of there. Switching gears just for a moment, what precautions should a dentist take while removing mercury amalgams? I can give you a, a weekend uh, lecture on this. There are quite a few protocols set by different organizations. See, IABD. One of them is actually called uh, SMART uh, protocol. And really the basics is in, in multiple levels. First and foremost, you want to protect your office, your staff, of course, the environment, and then the patient. So every patient is a little, is a little different. But the basics is you want to have certain filtration, air filtration systems, certain ionizers, at the office, you definitely want to have the big suctioning units, which we call the elephants. Of course, I walk in there, I look like Darth Vader. I have my mercury mask on. I have put a specific lotion on my hand because you need to wear 14 gloves, 14 gloves in order to prevent the mercury as you're removing it to get into your system. So there are special industrial lotions that are available that you put on. Like right now, my assistant, she is, she's pregnant. So even with everything, all the rules that I follow and my own uh, inventions, I still ask my assistant to leave the room. I don't want her to be in there. And I'll be honest with you, no matter how, no matter what I do, no matter what precautions I take, every time I do a big case, like a mercury case, my, my mercury level just shoots up. 
and this is with every precautions that I take in protecting myself, my staff, environment, and my, my patients. Uh, the basics is the SMART protocol. That's really known right now. That's the basics. But again, every patient is a little bit different. It is not just as much as the, um, the mercury vapor, of course, which I'll do our best, but also what happens in the system. We, we know that whenever you have multiple metals next to each other, and this is something they taught us in dental school, you basically have what's called a battery effect, the galvanic effect. So if you have a couple of metals next to each other, you've had this uh, battery effect, uh, let's say in one side of your or full mouth. And this battery effect not only affects all the nerve endings within that area, uh, above and beyond the release of the mercury from these fillings. So when you go in with an appointment and you remove that metal away from the body, that metal has been there for such a long time your acupuncture points, your nerve endings have been used to this kind of voltage. And of course, we know that every tooth, every section of your mouth and jaw has a connection to a different organs and so forth. We all know about the tooth body chart. So imagine all that acupuncture point, all those meridians have been at a charge for so long that your body's been compensating for. Now, when you remove that, all, your system's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm not used to this. That's why, so when that happens, all these nerve endings start firing, not only releasing mercury, but like the nerve endings start firing. So I have a lot of patients that come to me. Every time I take a mercury filling out, the tooth dies. And um, I end up getting a root canal. I know I got to get my mercury out, but I don't want to go from one evil to another. And when I sit and follow their protocols and what they've been through, it's been just the same story. Drill it, build it. Some dentist took a weekend course, Friday, Saturday, and then on Monday, hey, I'm a biological dentist. I'm a holistic dentist. I call them you know, weekend warriors. That's one of the big things also that we need to keep in mind and work with different practitioners such as I do trigger point injections where I use certain medicaments um, because I have acupuncture training at certain acupuncture points. The head and neck try to reboot that flow. But again, as a dentist, I'm not allowed to touch below the head and neck. So I always send my patients to a naturopath or to an acupuncturist to make sure that vitality is not stagnant, it's free-flowing. So I think I heard you say that when mercury fillings are removed, it's really common for the tooth to die. Is that what you said? Correct. If proper protocol is not followed, and again, every protocol is different for a patient. So Again, that's one thing we see further. Another thing we see quite common is that as years have gone by where you went from a little filling to a bigger filling to a bigger filling, the whole dynamic, the whole movement, internal movement of the tooth is gone. So now you have a big piece of metal on these teeth. And of course, as you chewing, drinking, hot, cold, metals move, metals expand and shrink. And that allows fractures into the tooth. So what these dentists do, they remove the mercury filling and they, poof, uh, pop a big, big plastic filling on top. And these fractures are overlooked. And these fractures end up causing uh, internal damage and the tooth dies as well. Do you use the Clifford biocompatibility test? I don't believe in it. It works basically the way the testing works is it's not that I don't believe in it. They basically use your blood 
to compare it to all these other materials. Now, we know that when you get these tests done, your blood is so polluted that every time you've had a patient that came in and said, this is the Clifford test, I got my mercury out, I got these fillings in, and then two years later, where they have gone through the detoxification chelation, now the body is allergic to that material. So I personally, I was trained by one of the most uh, amazing medical doctors out there, Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt in autonomic response testing. And after studying with him for, I was assistant for 15 years, I found my way to Dr. Omora, more advanced muscle testing. So that's what I like to use. But with more sensitive patients, I use heart rate variability. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that technology. Basically, heart rate variability allows us to see the body in a sympathetic and parasympathetic modalities. So by introducing different materials, we're able to see how that affects their central nervous system. So for more specific patients, yes, that's that's what I go after. As far as materials, sir, there's only a few materials out there that are partially clean. There's no true, there is no true biological material out there. Every material has its pros and cons. Some are cleaner than the other, but there is no 100% only if you use precious stones such as diamond. Those are 100% biocompatible. But most of the dental materials out there, there's only a few that are truly clean out there. So, Yeah, I remember there was a uh, porcelain-fused metal material called Captec that was made by layering a matrix of platinum with pure gold. So it had a really vibrant color and it was thought to be extremely biocompatible, but it raised the issue of this galvanic effect that you're talking about. And placing a Captec immediately caused all the other restorations in the mouth to act up and the gums were turning blue and the um, amalgams would start to erode and people would go, why are all my other crowns failing when this pure, this supposedly healthy thing was introduced into my mouth. And in order to make the other restorations cease causing such damage, the Captec had to be removed. Very interesting. Yes, I've heard about this. I personally have had patients that have gone through that experience, but I've never used it myself in any of my uh, patients. Uh, For the past, I would say six, seven years, it's been uh, zirconia type uh, material or Emacs glass-like material. See, you have to also, I know we're supposed to talk about mold, but since you brought up the, uh, uh, the subject, I feel like I need to share this with you. Years ago, me and a bunch of my good friends, dentists, we got together and we went searching the world for a, a, a master technician, not a laboratory ceramist, a master technician. And there's only six of them that graduate every two years, either Japan or Germany and what have you. We interviewed a very nice guy, Japanese. He was he wanted to be a he loved surfing. He moved down to California. We set up an office for him and his and basically it was a private clinic. And this uh, master ceramist only took care of us and nobody else. So we would order powders of you know porcelain, ceramics, different materials. And when we got the shipment, we tested them and we found rat poison. In, the, in, in these materials. Now, how did rat poison get in there? Further investigation, we realized that all these materials are being shipped 
through ship ships. And these big ships with containers, they have a huge rat manifestation. So they're constantly spraying rat poison in, in these uh, big boats, and that rat poison was getting into our material. So we said, okay, let's do this. Let's have it flown in. Pay extra, have it flown in instead of, instead of with, the, with the ships. Well, when they got to us, they were radiated. So now we have to, we have a special packaging that we do for all the materials that are being flown over. That's number one. Two, of course, the dental office, the dental clinic, the laboratory has to be clean. And I tell you, nine out of 10 laboratory clinics that I, that I walk in, guess what? They have mold toxicity. It's uh, probably worth noting that Professor Antonietta Gotti, her specialty is teaching dental materials. And that's how she got into nanopathology was by seeing damaged organs from nanoparticles that were coming from dental ceramics and various metals. And dental and titanium implants, sorry to interrupt you, and titanium implants also. Yeah, yeah these metal, these materials were degrading and the particles were getting through the organs and settling certain tissues and creating a, a type of damage that she calls nanopathology. Very well said. Very well said. Yeah. If you're familiar with chronic fatigue syndrome, you may have heard of Dr. Paul Cheney. I have, yes. He's the doctor who launched this syndrome by calling the CDC for help back in 1985. And it was thought that he had escaped the illness. Of course, at the time, he was extremely worried about catching this strange flu. And he did actually get sick after patients came into his office and he, he got this flu-like illness. And for a couple of weeks there, it looked like he had joined everybody else in getting this mystery malady. It was later called chronic fatigue syndrome, but he eventually recovered. Years later, it turns out perhaps it wasn't so because he had an improper amalgam removal and this immediately precipitated his uh, cardiomyopathy, which eventually culminated in a heart transplant. As a result of this, he had all kinds of testing done and realized that he had not entirely escaped the Tahoe flu. He was positive for human herpes virus 6 alpha. And this amalgam removal had precipitated the reactivation of this virus. His work with cardiomyopathy, the echocardiograms, revealing the kind of autonomic damage that results from this type of toxic exposure, did seem to cross over between the chronic fatigue syndrome outbreak that he uh, was studying, his own personal case, and what's going on with these dental materials. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, I, as through the years, as the more I have advanced in my training, it's interesting, I get more challenging patients that come toward my way, which I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all my mentors that have allowed me to sit on their shoulders and see further. But it's interesting that especially the past six, seven years, I'm seeing more complicated cases like what you had mentioned just now. And similar cases to that come toward my way. Right now, one of the biggest things that I get is patients that are dealing with Lyme challenge. They thought it was mercury toxicity, which it was. Then from there, after years of chelation detoxification, they found out, oh, actually they have Lyme. So I'm seeing more and more of that lately. And what are your thoughts, sir, 
on um, on this whole Lyme. I call it the Lyme epidemic, basically. This is probably a little hard to believe, but the Lake Tahoe outbreak was never investigated. The CDC came out, were baffled, and wrote up their definition. And from that point on, everybody considered the definition to be the paramount description of what was known about the disease. And no further investigation was done other than the observation of the initial EBV serology test that showed a fluctuating immune response. The investigation or whatever interest they had was completely dropped at that point. So they never found out that Tahoe was having an outbreak of Borreliosis at this exact same time as the mystery illness emerged. Uh, of all things, if you've heard the uh, story of Lyme disease, Holly Murray in Connecticut identified an outbreak of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis occurring at a statistically impossible rate in school children and enlisted the aid of Willie Bergdorfer to come and um, check out and eventually identified the spirochete that bears his name. So a housewife in Incline Village followed that same trajectory. Her husband was sick with the, this mystery illness, and other people in her condominium complex came up with the same disease. Wow. She heard about Lyme disease, contacted Willie, had them tested, and found out that they had Borrelia. So here, this cofactor was going on, and we wondered at the time, was, was this Lyme disease? And Dr. Peterson and Dr. Cheney did the Western blot, and we came up negative. So as far as they were concerned, the matter was dismissed. But what they found, what Willie found, was that there were different species, and the one that was affecting the Tahoe region was not Bergdorf, Bergdorferi, it was Hermsii. And this does not show up on their PCR testing. It was not revealed by the Western blot. So this was flying under the radar. Now, the reason I know about this is because there was a biological dentist in Reno who was treating these patients. He got a dark field microscope, uh, Bradfield, and he was analyzing the um, materials that he was uh, removing from these extractions and cavitations and osteonecrosis. And under the microscope, he was seeing spirochetes. Correct. And he uh, told me a really p a curious thing. He goes right on, based on the rate of extractions, what he was seeing over time, that the bicuspids seemed to be a special reservoir in the mouth for these spirochetes. That when it came to the cavitations, the osteonecrosis and the removal, it was the bicuspids it's almost a, every time. Have you seen that pattern? Yes, I, I'm probably the... Uh, I'm sure you, you, you're uh, familiar with dental DNA connections, the laboratory that basically a lot of dentists send these specimens to after they do these surgeries. I think I do more cases of cavitation in this country uh, more than any other uh, surgeon out there. So I'm very familiar with, with what you're talking about. And I see that over and over again. Now, in the premolar area, I haven't had that many cases, not that I can remember, but from my acupuncture training, what I do recall is your premolars are basically your polarity. So what you're saying, uh, it, make, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, the galvanism seemed through the roof. Amalgams were melting away in a manner that dentists had never seen before. Before. See, so, it, 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 see, see, sir, it's all about curiosity. When a patient comes to me, let's say, I'm just going to give you a small example, but let's say a tooth decay. Of course, 
I want to make sure I remove that decay non-invasive as possible using laser or aerobation. I want to make sure that I replace that loss of tooth structure with cleanest material that I can. But my question is always, why did you get this tooth decay? Is it lack of brushing and flossing? Let me teach you what's going on in your system. Because in my opinion, your teeth are true barometers of one's system. But as I said earlier in the show, I really pushed these organizations years ago, IOMT, IABDM, to really take their certification more seriously. So every few years, you got to go through courses. you got to be reminded of the science of what we're doing. And I really pushed, and I'm glad they followed my lead on this. Again, you're getting a lot of these dentists that take a weekend course. And on Monday, they're a biological dentist. And they are just, again, they so follow the drill type mentality. And they're not investigators. So this dentist you were talking about in, in Reno, he was an investigator. He took the microscopy, you know, he took the courses, he got in there, and he was able to find certain reasons and answers. So I truly applaud that. I, and I hope, and I wish more dentists follow that protocol. Amazingly enough, my stepfather was a dentist whose office was 100 yards away from Dr. Cheney's. Mm-hmm. And it's a darn shame that Dr. Cheney didn't go to him because my stepfather was a biological dentist back in 1985. Wow. In fact, he got in trouble with the local dentist because he advertised himself as a mercury-free dentist. Correct. I've been been there. (laughs) Yeah, this contradicted the standard of care for the area. Correct. No, no, actually, did you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you again, did you know that most of our big states, they actually have a gag law. In California, it's gag law, I think, number 14. A dentist is not allowed to tell you there's mercury in silver fillings. That's what he ran into. And they yeah. uh, said that they were actually going to take away his license. I've been through it two years. I've been through it for two years. They wanted to take my license away as well. I was on a Good Morning America. I'm sorry, Good Morning Sacramento. We were trying to uh, have this campaign. And again, I was on TV. I talked about Mercury, who owns the patent. Uh, and a lot of not many dentists even know that the patent for mercury fillings is owned by the American Dental Association and the FDA combined. As I shared this with the audience, uh, yeah, they came after me as well. So I, I hear you. I've been there. I've been there. My stepfather believed that the oral uh, environment is a window into the health of the patient. And at the same time that Dr. Cheney and Dr. Peterson were dealing with this mystery malady, He was looking at the oral manifestations and seeing strange things that were completely unfamiliar, such as children with discolored gums that looked like they had been smokers or had cancer. And he was so concerned about this that he assembled a think tank of researchers and any scientist who was interested in the topic to try to analyze what was going on in the Tahoe region at the time. And the patients and the other local dentists rebelled at this, said, you're a dentist, you, your realm is the teeth, stick to that. Right. Don't try to play doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, all the observations that could have been extremely useful were being suppressed by, by, local, by the other dentists. 
I think, as I recall, there was also a fluoride issue there as well, correct? That was like one of the other issues uh, that they found out later, there was a big fluoride toxicity in that region as well. Not at the Lake Tahoe. In fact, prior to the outbreak, we had no water treatment at all. No chlorine, nothing. Our water was considered to be so pure that it was completely unnecessary. It was, it was the fear of what had happened after the outbreak that started this reconsideration of just about everything. And that the local utility department started testing the water directly because of their fear of uh, this strange mystery illness and found some organisms that they didn't expect. And as a result of that, they, they started chlorinating and putting all these regulations into place over the water supply. But these had not existed prior to the outbreak. No, we didn't have any fluoridation and we didn't have any chlorine in the water, nothing. Now, Alicia, I know we're, hope we're not getting really off the subject of, uh, of our little podcast today. Do you want to do you have any questions or any concerns on how it can be of service or share? Yeah, my thoughts? yeah. I, I, I've been drafting a huge list of questions on the side here. <laughs> Is it okay if I call you Dr. P? Oh, because you had messaged me and you put Dr. P. So I'm like, all right, maybe that's what he likes to be called. It makes call it a little Dr. bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keely Severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body. Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health and the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement for mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has firsthand experience dealing with mold exposure, and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families, relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. 
To consult with Keely, please visit exposingmold.com slash consultations. That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. Thank you so much for coming on and I really appreciate it. And what I what really stood out to me is that there's basically no like informed consent for the patient in terms of mer- identifying mercury and letting them know that there's mercury in these caps and the causes and qualms of having these in your mouth. How did that come to be? How come dentists aren't allowed or or shouldn't be or whatever may be impacted by informing the patient of these issues in amalgams and other metal fillings? Great question. I can give you a weekend lecture on this question that you just asked me. For me personally, it was a no-brainer. In order for me to get to dental school, and I've shared this in multiple interviews uh, in the past, I personally had to take biology, chemistry, histology, physiology, genetics, organic chemistry, etc., in order to apply for dental schools. Now, all these classes had one thing in common, which was the periodic table, the table of elements. And it was a no-brainer. You have the number one most toxic substance in the world, which is plutonium. What do we do with plutonium? We make enriched to uranium, and we make atomic bombs with. Number two is mercury. So I don't need to see any research. I don't need to be brainwashed. How could the number two most toxic substance on our periodic table on this earth be okay? So I started speaking out really early about this. And of course, I I would be in meetings where dentists will come stand in my face, trying to bully me to keep my mouth hush. Now. If you go back a decade, there was a Dr. Weston Price. At that time, I think it wasn't called the American Dental Association. It was called the the something dentist of America, something in that term, where mercury was not allowed to be used in the United States. All root canals would have to be extracted. And that was the law. If you put mercury filling in someone's teeth, you would have it, they would take your license away. This is Dr. Price. This is a decade ago. But throughout the years, different companies, different patents, the American Dental Association came along. And let me remind you, American Dental Association is not a health organization. They're basically a trading company, such as the American Medical Association. So why would I trust my health to, it's like trusting your health to Enron, you know, or to British Petroleum. So. For me, it was very simple. And throughout the years, mercury became the number one because it was really inexpensive. You paid pennies for it and you charged dollars for it. It it came part of our dental treatment. I remember 1993, I was in Gutenberg, Sweden, where I was going through implant training. And Sweden at that time, 1993, banned mercury fillings. And after that was Belgium and all these other European countries. I was so excited. Finally, the truth is out. I paid thousands of dollars to have all the research that I gathered from the university there translated, brought it to the States, went to my dental school, 
met with Dr. Dugoni, which was the the, the, the president of this dental school that I went, and he was the ex-president of the American Dental Association. I said, Dr. Dugoni, look at these European countries. Look at what they have done. Look at their research. He basically told me, Ali Reza, you need to stop this. Enough. I don't want to hear about this. You need to stop this. Talk about mercury fillings. So that's a little story from my end. But thank God, thank God, because of internet, People are able to do their research. There was a time I would give lectures on mercury toxicity. Now, patients reach out to me and say, hey, I've read about this. I've seen the research all over the internet. Go ahead and just Google mercury toxicity in dental. You're going to get millions of sites and hits and information out there. So thank God for our awareness and the use of internet. Our patients are able to you know, get more information. They know more sometimes than me when they come to me. So I hope I answered your questions in reference to this issue. Also, of course, when COVID hit, for me, it was a joke because I've been fighting against mercury and the patent and the licensing and all that for years. And look, now the nation is dealing with something not similar, but close enough. So that was very interesting for me to see that as well. Wow. Thank you so much for that information. And so I just want to recap, basically what you're saying is mercury is extremely toxic, but basically has no business and being used in any sort of health field capacity dentistry. And it's used more so because it's cheap and could be sold at 10 X the price. Correct. And also let's not forget also mercury is used as a preservative for a lot of vaccinations that are out there. Anywhere from flu vaccines to your normal MMR, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just a mercury. Mercury is not just a dental. We're having clouds of mercury vapor coming into the coast of California from China and other countries who don't follow proper protocols. But that's alarming. So it's not just dentistry. It's in our food. It's in our fish. It's in preservatives, et cetera, et cetera. And it's also in eye drops. And many people who react to eye drops aren't aware that it's the thimerosal at extremely low levels that are capable of causing a systemic response. And it goes completely overlooked. Absolutely. Lisa, you also need to realize that we, okay, so let's go back three, four generations where the American public, they were sprayed, multiple vaccinations, pesticide, antibiotics in their food grew up on Safeway and Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's, et cetera, et cetera. And through generations, there has been genetic DNA damage and keeps getting passed to the next generation. So let's say I'm lucky enough, I grew up in a different part of the world where in my country or a lot of European countries, if you say organic food, they'll laugh at you. What do you mean? Everything is organic. Now the European, they have this work biologic just for the American tourists that go out there. So I'm lucky enough that I know my detox pathways are working properly. So if I get exposed to, let's say, mercury with certain nutrition, supplementation, I'm able to push it out. But not many people are lucky that way. There is damage in the DNA. There's damage in their genes, and they're not able to do it properly. Now, going back to mold and mercury go hand in hand together. I hear a lot of doctors, a lot of patients come to me, they're going through, they're going through chelation. They have multiple infections in their jaw. And I'm like, stop, don't. You need to stop this right away. You need to let your 
whoever your doctor is, let them know that they need to stop this protocol. How could you go through chelation when you have multiple cavitations and other uh, dental issues that are going on? You're putting more burden on your system. So, can you, so uh, sorry, go ahead. Can you tell me when your problems, when your issues with mold first began? As I entered dentistry, as I did more and more mercury removal. Right now, to be honest with you, I only take care of very advanced cases that these patients truly need my help. If you call my office and you come in and you have a few mercury fillings, I outsource because I don't want to put myself, my staff, the environments through that. So I only take care of special cases. And of course, as I just said, the more I did more mercury removals, that's when this thing started. And for me, it was my smell. I could smell mold a mile away right now. As people uh, tried to investigate what they call MECFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, the question is, where did all this begin? What changed? And Lake Tahoe is like a microcosm being up in the mountains, especially in the North Shore. It was a very small village, inclined village, isolated, fairly difficult to get to, in an extremely pristine environment of people living possibly the healthiest lifestyle it's still possible to attain on this planet. Fairly well-off people with excellent food, great nutrition, no fast food restaurants, good air. So why would this illness strike here? Thanks to my stepfather being in the dental field, I wondered if I could learn something by how this illness was moving through the dental profession. Because naturally, if the um, hygienists and the dentists and all the assistants were being exposed to mercury, you'd expect to see clusters of illness in the dental offices. And it, there weren't. They seemed, in fact, they seemed almost immune. So this threw a monkey wrench into the mercury theory as far as I was concerned, because who was succumbing were the teachers and the casino workers and all the people in the sick buildings that were exposed to mold. So at that point, I thought we can't really consider to be the mold reactivity downstream of mercury when all the people in the dental profession who are working with mercury every day, they're not the ones dropping like flies. So I tried to draw this to Dr. Cheney's attention, and we hope to get uh, researchers involved at some point so that we could create a timeline of when this mold illness emerged and see that maybe there's something different with the mold going on where it increased its pathogenesis and it wasn't really downstream of the epigenetic epigenetic effects of vaccines and the mercury exposure. So this, yeah, through this COVID, I think it raised a lot of awareness on just cleanliness to begin with. I haven't stopped flying since COVID hit. I didn't get vaccinated, never got the COVID. And if I did, I had no idea if I had it. And I remember one of the things that I noticed right away when I was flying is the little magazines they have that they put in the front over there. All the magazines were gone. Why? Because the people, you know, touch their tongues, their pages, put their bacteria, their fingerprints on it. I'm like, couldn't you guys do this before? <laughs> Why'd you have to wait till COVID to do this stuff? And I'll be honest with you. I rather like people keeping their distance from me. I like the fact that the guy who's making my food at a restaurant has got a mask on and he's not talking over my food. And God forbid, if you serve my food and you got your finger on top of my dish, I will freak out. So the restaurants that I go, they know me. Oh, here comes Dr. P. Okay, everyone put their gloves on, put their mask on. You got their mask on. The deeper we go, 
the more stuff we find. At the end of the day, it's all about your immune system. And that's what I teach my patients. Your immune uh, system is, go ahead. I was going to say the relative immunity of the uh, dental offices and their staff to this mystery disease said that something is wrong with the idea that this is an illness transmitted by saliva, by close contact. There's something really bizarre about this. Why would it be the teachers who aren't touching their students, certainly not going into their mouths, no physical contact whatsoever? Why would the teachers be getting sick but, and strangely spare the dental assistants? So I never became a germaphobe. I became a plumophobe. <laughs> I, I considered that uh, what was going on in the sick buildings was paramount. And I was running into a source of toxicity that was so bizarre, so extreme, that something in the air was like overwhelming, really deadly. And if I could train myself to detect these toxic plumes, and stay away from this type of exposure, I could get more bang for the buck than all the mercury removal and all the nutrition and all the supplements that people were um, espousing. So that was my philosophy, is developing a strategy of what I call mold avoidance, because it seemed to be a toxic emission from certain microbial colonies. And lo and behold, I got a recovery so spectacular that Dr. Peterson and Dr. Cheney lost interest in my case because I was considered a fluke recovery. Mm. And they didn't see the concerted nature of the steps that I had taken to expose to avoid these toxic exposures. Yes, I do remember there was a whole issue with teachers and the mold toxicity in the classrooms and et cetera, et cetera. I do I do remember those things too. Alicia, where are we now? What else could we enlighten you with? (laughs) I can't see you, by the way, Alicia. I think, I don't know if you're, you want to be seen or I just. Yeah, I'm purposely not on camera. I recently had a black mold exposure that took me down health wise. So I'm just, I'm trying to recoup here and I just look a mess. (laughs) I don't look great. Well, I hope hope you feel better soon. Um, Oh, thank you. But what I was saying earlier before, really doctors today, I think they have to be little ninjas to totally understand the whole issue with mercury detoxification, chelation, and mold that goes hand in hand together. Right. One of the things that I'm that, that I've I have patients flying from all over the states, and believe it or not, more than fifty percent of the cases that I'm doing right now in reference to surgery infections of the jaw is reduced. Patients that have had multiple surgeries done, and the areas keep getting reinfected. And when I sit there and go over the protocol, so much has been missed. One of the major things I want to share with you guys is above and beyond me and working with doctors, different practitioners to make sure my patients are ready for surgery, thyroid, adrenals, especially blood clotting factors, which is very hormonal based as well. With that said, I also have to make sure when I go in there and do these removal of these infections, what am I doing? I'm really spreading that infection into the system. So, of course, part two is to make sure that patient is protected. How do we protect these patients? If you talk to any infectious control doctor, a pathologist, what have you, they say, well, put the patient on four to five different types of antibiotics because these are super bugs. They get used to the antibiotics. Of course, nobody goes through that. Nobody wants to go through that. It destroys your system. It destroys your gut. So we focus on immune modulation through different intravenous IVs, supplementation, other medical uh, medical protocols were able to boost up the immune system. But one thing that everybody's missing out there, and when I give this lecture to other dentists, their jaw, they're like, 
falls on the foot. Like we never even thought about it that way. Whenever you remove a chronic issue away from the body, and imagine you have a 16, 17-year-old who, let's just say, got their wisdom teeth out, pieces of tooth broke, which in dental school they taught us if a tooth breaks, just let the patient know, document it, and the body will deal with it. It'll deal with it as a chronic issue. And these patients have been dealing with this infections for years and years and years. So now they're 35, 45. They finally understand that this infection was always putting a burden on their system. And now I go in as a surgeon and I remove that infection. The body is great. Thank you so much. I don't have to deal with this anymore. What am I going to do next? And this is basically your central nervous system, your immune system. So the body at that time either wants something or it wants to dump something. And what we see, I would say 90% of the time is heavy metals. So I always make sure that I spend quite a bit of time with the doctors, explain this to them. So for them to make sure that the patients are on the right proper binders, chlorella, charcoal. And I always say, listen, when heavy metal comes out, mold is to follow. So if you don't have ex- if you don't have enough experience in dealing with this patient, it's better for us to find a different practitioner who understands that concept. So we see that more and more. So that's one thing I always try to help my patients into the after effect. And it was only because they went into the office, they had some IV, some supplements, they, they removed the infection. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. As the body start dumping heavy metals, start dumping more, that gets into your bloodstream. And from there, goes back to the surgical area. Yeah. Thank you so much for providing that information. And you were reading my mind, I think, when you started talking about what you just said, because I'm just wondering why do there's, okay, so biological dentists are far and few between, correct? There's not a ton of you. Can I just stop you one second? I'm so sorry. Yeah, sure. I honestly, I've been called a lot of different things, biological, alternative, systemic. I love the word systemic. That's my trademark natural, green, but they're all just words. At the end of the day, one needs to thrive to be a good doctor, a good dentist. So when I hear words like biological dentistry, I really try to stay away from those words. We all have to be biological dentists. We all have to be conscious dentists. So when I see, oh, I'm a biological dentist, I'm not impressed. That doesn't impress me. What, you light a candle in your office and you call the biological dentist? You know? I love that. Thank you. you know? I appreciate that. You're probably one of the few few doctors that are talking this way in this field. It's all is, it, is it true? Everyone should have integrity, basically. Yes, everyone tr- yeah. everyone you know, should I'm, be I'm, operating with a conscience. Yep. Yeah, I'm actually proud to be top three wanted right now on Quackwatch. I have patients that call all the time. Like, how'd you hear me? You're on Quackwatch. If you're on Quackwatch, you're doing something right. Say, thank you so much. I send another email to Dr. Brad. Say, hey, dude, thank you so much. You know, you made me so famous. You know, of course he hates me, but. I love it. Eric, I think Eric is having a good time with this too. (laughs) But um, I'm just curious, why are dentists doing such a bad job with amalgam removal? I feel like I hear this story over and over with people getting injured from the removals. Since you said there's an actual protocol, are people not following proper protocol? Are they not by law? forced to follow this proper protocol? No. As far as the, for example, the California Dental Association is concerned, and every state is a little different. It's on so many different levels. But for one thing, if you're going to be removing mercury, again, if you're just drilling, removing, 
filling, billing one evil for another. A lot of these people get these mercury fillings out and get plastic placed back in there. And this plastic is full of BP, methyl methacrylate, polymethacrylate. So they're going from one evil to another. Now, why don't all dentists in America follow a certain protocol? Because the American Dental Association still says that mercury is safe. And if you're a member of that organization, it's like, it's like this. I think there was a, there was a, a survey done that only one out of every like 100 medical doctors actually read what's going on with COVID. Only like one out of 100. And the rest are just getting emails from CDC that they're following. So either you can be a sheep and follow these organizations, or you can really go back to your training and see the toxicity of not just mercury, a lot of other dental materials, not even dentistry in, in the world for us. So again, it goes back into patent laws, gag laws, as we talked about. So where you have these European nations that have completely banned mercury for different reasons, environment, what have you. And I, good for them. I wish we could follow those routes. But from my understanding, from what I've been from what other scientists have shared with me is that if the American Dental Association, let's say tomorrow, if they say, what, mercury is bad, it's toxic, it's bad, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. Lawsuits, like the tobacco industry, there'll be billions of dollars of lawsuits coming toward their way. You know, yeah, you, know, you see these commercials, oh, did you use Johnson & Johnson baby powder? And if you have some sort of a cancer, we'll sue Johnson and get you millions of dollars. It'll be like that. It'll be late night commercials of these lawyers. Basically, have you had mercury toxicity? Do you have metals in your mouth? Then you might be able to be compensated millions of dollars. Can you imagine the phone calls that will come through? Yeah. So that would never happen. So it's each, it's up to every individual person Mm -hmm. to read, research, and protect their family. In my younger days, USC, University of Southern California, would have these free fillings day because they wanted the students to get their units to graduate. So me and my group, we would be standing outside stopping the mothers. Don't. This mercury can hurt your children. But it was given free. It was given on a university. And people trusted. So to ask you a question, first, it has to be the universities that have these dental schools. They need to stop using mercury, teaching the students. Imagine you're sitting in a class, 120 students, all vibrating mercury and putting mercury. There goes your first toxicity right there. So it has to be started at the universities first. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is those universities are run by special interests too. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's quite shameful. Like people ask me, would you ever... Is your son or daughter, cousin, niece, are they going to go to dental school? Are you going to become a dentist? I'd say no. It's a very toxic profession. Why would I want my, I was lucky enough, but I would never want my child or anybody to go through that training and get basically so poisoned. I used to do, there was a time as dentist had the highest rate of suicide. I got a job as a coroner, as a dental consultant, and every case of dentists that came in that had committed suicide, the coroner's office said that they had schizophrenia. That was the diagnosis. Now, what causes schizophrenia? One part of it is lack of 
tubulin, this myelin sheet that protects our, our nervous system, this electrical system. And lack of tubulin causes schizophrenia. And the first thing that mercury destroys is that tubulin. So I started ordering a lot of mercury testing, some tissue, whatever fluid we could get our hands on, and mercury levels were off the chart. So I started, you know, writing in my reports that this is, yeah, it was schizophrenic due to mercury toxicity from their job mainly. Of course, after the 10th report, they asked me not to come back anymore <laughs> because I was asking too many questions. Yeah. So it's very, so again, it goes back to every individual, every mother, every father. Don't believe it. Don't believe the media. Don't believe it. We've all experienced it during COVID. You know, it would really open up our eyes to the corruption. And I think if every, the similar response that we get from our interview interviewees is you have to be your own advocate nowadays. <laughs> you have to be absolutely you, you know, just the, as knowledgeable as your physicians, as your dentists, you know, I promise you, as soon as I hang up and when you put this out on the internet world in, in, in the media, I'm going to get emails. I probably might even be be approached by a some sort of a, a official investigator. It always happens. Every time I do a podcast, a lecture, within days, I'm attacked, basically threatened. Good for you for continuing the good fight and being oh being please so, yeah being so honest and not backing down, whereas people would back down in those situations. So I, I'm I'm really happy for that and thank you. And I just had a few more questions. I know we're beyond Absolutely. power. But I really want to get these in. We're highly interested in nanotechnology, nanomedicines, and a lot of the good side is praised in this type of field, but we understand the bad sides of nanotechnology and nanomedicines. Now, I know dentists utilize nano sealants in their procedures. Is this safe for patients? Is this something that you use or are familiar with? To be honest with you, through my muscle testing, and as I shared who my mentors and teachers were, I haven't found any of them to be safe for my patients. My patients have brought this to me over and over again. I try to stick to more ozone type materials to help to disinfect the tooth, rejuvenate the enamel, remove decay, what have you. But the few cases that I've had where patients actually brought it to my attention, this is what I've researched, this is what I want to use. When I muscle tested them, the body definitely said no. So the future of it, of nanotechnology, again, it has to do with patents, these big corporations. Yeah, it's pretty sad also, but I think that's where we are right now with, with nanotechnology. It really goes back to the patents and what's available for us. Yeah, if you're interested in that, we, again, as Eric mentioned, we interviewed Dr. Antoinette Gatti, who's really big into studying nanotechnology and coined nanotoxicology and nanopathology. Send sure. it to you via email so you can just check it out. Definitely. Enjoy. Thank you for the work that you're doing to raise awareness and bring in all this new stuff. Thank you. We, we're so passionate about this work because we've been so gravely affected by mold and toxicity and just being very sensitive to our environments. And we're here fighting the good fight. Eric has been doing this for 35 years and, and we're starting to realize that no one is going to save us from us drowning. We're going to have to save ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. We all band together with all of our, our ideas and our expertise and our knowledge to, to get the word out and really continue the good fight as well. And my last question to you, Dr. P 
Do you often screen your patients for environmental health or sensitivities or anything Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. And uh, most patients actually are shocked that I'm even asking such questions. The way I look at every individual patient is, imagine a pyramid. You have the physical body on the bottom, which is bone, muscle, nutrition, chiropractic. Then you go to energetic body, which is your heart, nervous system, meridians, acupuncture points. And then we go to the mental body, intuitive and spiritual. So I want to know as much as I, as much as I can about my patient, anywhere from their blood type, their diet, children, scars, marriage, divorce. So I get pretty much, I get very deep into this with my patients. I just actually have a great family. They all started coming to me a few months ago, these twins that are just like suffering. And I took these twins to a clinic that I'm associated with in Mexico. This is uh, not Cancun, Tabor, Puerto Vallarta. This is deep Mexico, Chihuahua. It's called the La Luz Wellness Center. Dr. Virginia Martz, an amazing naturopath. And within days of them arriving, they look like two different people. So this environmental, and when I'm talking about environmental, I'm not just talking about the glue and the plaster and uh, the mold. I'm talking about specifically Wi-Fi. When we took these twins away from this environment, they were completely different people. The system was functioning. The skin looked good. They were able to just live. But as soon as they went back to the States again in their condos, all their symptoms came back. Yes, I pay very close attention on environmental toxicity. And of course, what I see over and over again is as soon as the patient sits in my chair, they take their cell phone and guess where they put it? Right in the reproductive area. I think that's like the safest place for them. I try to tell them, why are you putting the phone there? Just put it on the side. You hear cases like that a lot where sick individuals go to a retreat center. And because we work specifically with mold doctors, we hear it in the context of mold. People are going to a retreat center and they're healing. You can heal when you're away from mold in a different environment at a retreat center or not a retreat center. But the problem is when those oh, patients absolutely. go home. They're close to the same Absolutely. I can't begin to tell you how many very well-off individuals that come to our clinic in Mexico and the food is controlled, everything is organic. We're still at 3G over there. We refuse to go to 5G over there. The environment, high rise, there's none of that. And that's the biggest thing. What do I do when I go back home? At first, they say it's pretty sad that I have to leave America to come and get treated. Because I can't get this treatment in the States. That's number one. But number two, like you said, as soon as they go back, everything comes back again. Makes you wonder if they could just change to a healthy environment within the country and not go back to their house, if they might be better off than spending all that money in a treatment center. Absolutely. Well, not everybody's lucky like that. Not everywhere. Like we've had a few patients that were really well off. They ended up buying land in Mexico, close to the clinic. They build their house there. And this is like their getaway. They live in Mexico, but they go work in the States because they're such a cleaner, or happier, healthier, and they're living much cleaner life. And we've seen that across the board. I think this COVID really also raised awareness on we need to start thinking global and not to be stuck. I mean, come on, open up your browser right now. You'll see 10, 20 different Wi-Fi's that are going on you, you can log into. 
What's interesting about the Wi-Fi thing is we interviewed a woman from the Environmental Health Trust and what we found out in our interview was that she was actually a mold reactor. Like during the interview, we realized that she was somebody so sensitized to mold, she could walk in a room and say there's mold hiding behind this wall. That's me. That's me. And the whole time she thought that she was that sensitive because of EMFs and she was sensitized by mold. So I just wanted to say that because I do feel a social responsibility to the audience that we have. And I personally have a different opinion that I think people are getting sensitized by mold and then they're becoming overly reactive to Wi-Fi things and other chemicals. And maybe they're getting sensitized by some chemicals at some point, but I think mold is a really big one that lowers their immune system, makes them more susceptible to chronic infections because their immune system can't fight it off and much more reactive to electronics. Electronics also seem to affect people differently when they're actually in a moldy location. And I just have to make that clarification for our audience because that's our message. Well, we do respect your opinion and thank you so much for your Thank you. If I just may share one more last thing and then I have actually another podcast I got to do in about 10 minutes. I think it was one of these major universities, I think it was UCLA. They were curious why these bugs have become super bugs. Mm -hmm. So one theory was just as we on this earth are dealing with so much more toxicity in our environment, so are these buggers, especially Wi-Fi. When they introduced Wi-Fi to mold, biofilm, these superbugs, they went on a rampage. These bugs started aggressively protecting themselves, fighting for themselves. So again, the conclusion was Wi-Fi and environmental toxicity, as it's affecting us, is also is affecting all these other buggers, microbes. That's why they've become super bugs. It was a very interesting research. But thank you so much, you guys, for having me on your show. I hope maybe we can do part two one of these days. Alicia, thank you so much. And thank you so much for all the work that you guys are doing. God bless you all. And uh, any other questions before I log off? No, well, it's I been think- great, great talking to you. Yeah, we could we could talk for hours. Thank you. I know. I'll save my other questions for part two. That's a good idea. But thanks again, Dr. P, for coming on. Hey, mold doctors and experts, I'm speaking to you. Do you have patients that no matter how hard you try, you just can't help them in the way that they need? Are you treating mold but seeing people stay sick or get worse? There may be some key points about toxic mold exposure that you are missing in your practice that patients need in order to support the best clinical outcomes possible. You can achieve superior outcomes by understanding the following. Common failures of indoor mold testing and remediation, mold hypersensitivity, and residual contamination. If you struggle with any of these concepts in your practice, Exposing Mold is here to support you as you support your patients. We work with clinicians to help them understand the struggles of the hypersensitive mold-injured population. If you feel like you're not helping people the way you want, let us help you help others. Visit ExposingMold.com consultations and book your appointment with us today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. It was a great conversation with Dr. P. He's doing some great work in dentistry. Please check out our Patreon page to join our low-cost group and also check out the website. We have a lot of great resources 
that if you'd like to learn more about mold or learn how to get over it or learn about the mechanisms behind it, all that, we have a great resources page you can check out. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Take care.